This podcast is a part of the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. And hello, everybody. Welcome again to Newsmakers on 1490 WDAN. I'm Steve Brandy, and today the Tom and Jerry Show, a tradition that Linda Bolton had for years. Tom Fricky from the Vermillion County Farm Bureau and Jerry Askin from, Fed, from Iroquois Federal Savings and Loan. We were talking about the name of the bank. And Jerry, you were telling me uh, the interesting history of Iroquois Federal Savings and Loan. You compared the early days to the George Bailey Building and Loan, and you were giving people hope, right? <laughs> we did. We did. And, and that's how, how the bank got its start. I mean, they were... They were helping people in Vermilion County build homes when, uh, you know, when we had the General Motors plant that was booming and families were moving into the area. Probably a lot of people today living in those homes that were financed by Iroquois Federal Savings and Loan. I mean, they were building the community just like George Bailey and his family was doing back there in Bedford Falls. Absolutely. Does that and make you Clarence? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, it certainly doesn't make us Mr. Potter. You yeah. know? No, no. And as Jerry helping people now with agricultural loans, with Iroquois Federal Savings and Loan, that's why he's here. We're going to talk about the agricultural world coming into the new planting season. But before we do that, Linda Bolton started this tradition. And mm-hmm. Tom Fricky, memories of Linda Bolton, what do you think? Well, the thing I remember about Linda, she was very persistent in making sure that we had our ag show on uh two or three times four times throughout the year because she understood and recognized the importance of agriculture and the agriculture economy to the local economy here in vermilion and she wanted to make sure that folks understood that what's happening out on the farm one affects what's happening in town and two is so important to the economic health of vermilion county and i just want to salute her and thank her for that uh, emphasis and knowing the importance of agriculture and uh, wish all our sympathies to Wilbur as well as the family here at WDAN. An honor for me to be in her old seat with the Newsmakers program. Jerry Askren, what about you? When Linda first asked you to be on this show, were you skeptical? But now you're a regular, right? I was scared because I, I wasn't sure, you know, what you're going to say and what you're going to do. But Linda always made it light. She made it fun. And as Tom said, she was introducing to the the Vermilion County, Vermilion County community the importance of agriculture. And she would always like to lighten it up a little bit and let let Tom and I talk about things that would help the people in that aren't attached to the farm to understand the 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 struggles that and the and the and the successes that were happening out on the farm and how those things had as Tom said that direct connection uh, to the to the community and to the county. And I think one of the things, and Tom said, you know, three, four times, I think she always did. She wanted to get us on a lot. And I think part of that was she had more fun with the Tom and Jerry show than she did any other program that she did doing Newsmakers. And I'll challenge anyone that's that's been on the show with her to say that Linda had fun all the time, but especially when Tom and Jerry were in, in studio. I still remember the time where we described the pollination process of corn to her about the pollen health hitting the the silks Silks. or what everybody calls the hairs on the ear of sweet corn while each one of those hairs went to a kernel and that's that's how the pollen got to the kernel and and just explaining that process she got a kick out of that yeah 
One kernel at a time. Exactly. <laughs> well, we've got to get to that pollination process this year, gentlemen. And I'm telling you, we say this every year going into the new planting season. We always say there's a lot of questions. This year, we mean it. I mean, questions all over the place with the input costs, the high fertilizer costs. And Tom Fricky, what are we going to do about getting answers? Because I think everybody's more on edge this year than they have been in a long time. Well, I don't know that. I mean, we're almost to the point of, of not being able to get answers. We just have to deal with the situation as it is. I mean, a, some anhydrous got put on last fall, and anybody that did is is realizing a a price benefit to that, although they even experienced price increases, even if they had booked it at a certain price level, it probably cost them more when they actually took delivery of that anhydrous. And if you had pre-booked some and you didn't get it all delivered, you just lost that pre-booking pricing on that. It's just that supply chain issue. It's some of the things I've read. I mean, there's, there's world demand involved here. There's, there's production issues when Texas had their big freeze and all the nat- natural gas issues last uh, February. Natural gas is a key component to the production of anhydrous ammonia. So a lot of the production facilities in Texas, Oklahoma, that area, diverted all their natural gas to Texas to to unfreeze those folks because they don't know what to do if it gets down below 40 degrees down there. <laughs> and And so we had to that caused some of those plants to shut down and that created a gap in the anhydrous production. And then when the hurricane season came in, that created some gaps also. So there's been a number of factors that have contributed to this, but just making sure that supply is there has been the main thing. Yes. I mean, everybody's worried about the price, but it's making sure you've got the product to put on the fields this spring whenever we're able to do that. Yeah, I have an aunt in Anna, Texas. You're right. When it gets cold down there, it's a whole different ball game. <laughs> and, and, you know, like I've got this week's Farm Week in front of me, and one of the articles is about the supply chain. It's like, okay, if you didn't lock in your fertilizer last fall, now you've got a higher price, and are you going to get it on time? Because we have a big shortage of truck drivers in this country that's getting worse Year after year, everybody's concerned about it. Jerry Askren, when people come into Iroquois Federal Savings and Loan talking finances, talking loans for their farms in 2022, what are you seeing? More nervousness, more anxiety? Are they trying to pretend everything's normal? Or what do you see right now? And is that anxiety more on the farmer's part or the banker's part this year? <laughs> well, the, the the banker really, when we looked at the numbers and we saw these high input costs, as Tom was talking about the anhydrous, and and we'll, we might talk a little bit later about how that affect why you have to have that to grow corn. But the anxiety levels, I mean, guys were coming in and they were talking about all these high input costs. Are, are we going to be able to cover all the expenses and all the costs? Well, what we, we were looking at was the the value that they could get from their crop. And I know as ever, and when we'd sit down with them and as we got ready to leave or we're signing the note and I said, now all we have to have, boy, if we can have a good spring and get in early and you can have a great year this year, despite those high costs, you could really potentially have a great year with the way the the value of their, their crops are, are, are sitting at at this point. And uh, we were being very conservative on the, on the production side of, of yield and price. And, and we knew the costs were higher and we kept plugging those in. And, and exactly right, as, as both of you have said, 
the later in the season we got. We met with guys in November and then in December, then January, then February, then March, and on and on. And as as they kept coming in later and later, if they hadn't had their products booked, that cost per acre in that column for fertilizer, anhydrous, chemicals, kept going up and up and up. And um, anxiety, nervousness, I mean, they're, they're farmers. They've been through this a bunch. They've always seen the different years. Um, and so we always say there, there's no two years that are exactly alike. Um, but the funding's there. Now, the, if they can get the product, and, and now we have the situation with we're here sitting here in mid-April, and um, very little seed is in the ground, if any at all. Might be yeah. better off being in the bag yeah. than in the ground. I mean, we've got more nights coming up in the 30s again. and so the, But the, the key has shown time and time again, the earlier the crop can get planted, the better off it will produce come harvest time. And so that's probably making guys a little more nervous right now that they haven't been able to get into the field as much as they were when they were meeting with us. I mean, I think we put them at ease when they came in. We told them we, we've got their back. We're with them, and we're, we're looking at at least with these higher input costs, there's an offset to it with what they're gaining at the, the price of the commodities. So I, I, I think things can be good. we got to get a crop. Yeah, yeah. you know – Thank you, Mother Nature. This is the last thing we needed. I mean, we're recording this on Thursday, April 14th. Beautiful day outside, but the last three weeks have been awful. I mean, cloudy, colder than normal, rain all over the place. Farm Week reports here that the average rainfall in March for the state of Illinois was 4.5 inches. The normal is 3.2. I mean, I'm not going to talk about global warming here, but Tom Fricky, what is going on? This is ridiculous. When are we going to have Mother Nature turn off the water? Here? Well, I heard one of the meteorologists, I don't remember which one it was, say, I mean, we're, we're dealing with the El Nino effect, and we've seen this before, and we've... we've kind of gotten spoiled over the last few years being able to get into the fields the first couple of weeks of april although you you look back when was it 2009 when we or excuse me 2019 when we had all the prevent plant acres so this is nothing new and we're not that we're at prevent plant acres point yet i'm not i'm not insinuating that at all but but we have dealt with wet springs in the past it's just a matter of getting that window of opportunity to get into the fields the fortunate thing as technology and equipment has improved so much over the years once we get that window it won't take long to get it in the field like it used to they can get out and get a lot of acres done in a day once the conditions are are right to be able to do that a lot of that stems from less tillage gets done now than used to Uh, the equipment's bigger and you're able to cover more acres the gps guidance system helps you plan a little later into the evening than than you might have normally because you don't have to follow that marker line through the field you let the tractor drive itself with the satellite assistance so there are those aids as well at the same time you need to make sure that that you're doing everything right you don't want you don't want to force it in too soon because mudding in corn is the last thing you want to do because that just creates more headaches down the road and, of course, last fall we had a frustrating harvest. A lot of people know my fiancé and I live in Cisna Park, Kitty Corner, across from a grain elevator. And in September, one truck after another, boom, boom, boom. In October, practically nothing. It was wet the entire month. Yeah. So here we are frustrated again as we get into the new planting season. And a minute ago, Jerry, you talked about the need 
of fertilizer to plant corn. It's so important to corn. And what happened a couple weeks ago, the USDA came out with their estimates. And a rare thing, it looks like there's going to be more soybeans planted than corn this year. Nationwide and statewide, the soybeans are going up, the corn's going down. That's a reaction to all this. Farmers are talking to you about this. What are you hearing about the reaction to that? Well, farmers like to stay with their rotations. They don't. They don't like to change that too often. By the rotation means if the if the crop had uh, X amount of if you might have had corn acres last year, I don't want to go back to corn that next year. Or maybe I've had corn a couple years in a row. That rotation says that field needs to go to soybeans. Or I had soybeans in it last year, and it needs to needs to be in corn this next year. Uh, disease and different things with soybeans don't really do well if you plant year after year on soybeans. So you like to keep your rotations in place so that you know ahead of time. But there comes down to the situation. You can't grow corn without the fertilizer and without the anhydrous. And if you can't get it, and those input costs were so high, some guys probably have done some calculations and said, I'm going to go ahead and plant soybeans. we got a good price on soybeans. My in, my production expense is going to be lower on soybeans, and I can't get the anhydrous anyway. And we've talked about this with Linda before, explaining when somebody says, what does anhydrous do for corn? It makes it big and green. Uh, if you're driving down the road in a country road in the summertime and you see the corn and it's eight foot, 10 foot tall and it's dark and green. And all of a sudden you come across this where, area where it's four foot high and it's a light, light green. And I said, that's the area where water probably ran through and it and it leached away the anhydrous or something happened. They didn't get the anhydrous down properly in that one corner or the end of the field or something like that. That's a sh- that's showing you what happens. And then if you want to ride with the farmer in the fall, when you come into that short area where the where the anhydrous wasn't there, the corn don't grow. Yeah. You know, and you don't have a crop there. You'll see that yield monitor drop way down. And so they have to have those things, Steve. And, and if they don't, they can they can switch to a, another crop potentially. And farmers have adapted over the years uh, when there've been other anhydrous issues in the past either from an environmental standpoint or a supply standpoint, there are other sources of nitrogen. Anhydrous is just the most prominent and the most cost-effective, but there's still, if you can't get anhydrous, there's still 28% nitrogen out there that you can get. There's urea. There are other sources, but but Jerry's right. No, no matter how you put the nitrogen on, you need the nitrogen nutrient added to the crop. It's it's not a chemical. It's it's a nutrient, and it's it's natural, and it's just but it's something the corn needs to grow. Now, let's make sure we understand, Tom, for the non-farmers out there, anhydrous nitrogen fertilizer, very important to corn, and that's why some people are planting less corn, more soybeans this year nationwide. Is fertilizer important? Is anhydrous important to soybeans or used on them at all compared to how much they're used on corn? Anhydrous is not necessary for soybean production because soybeans as a legume produces its own nitrogen that it needs uh soy soybeans are are similar to peanuts in that they're a legume they 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 have nodes that produce their own nitrogen so that's why farmers when they're taking soil tests after the harvest if you're following soybeans with your corn you need to take into account the the nitrogen that's in the soil before you you add what you need for the coming growing season so that you're not over uh, spending for nitrogen you don't need or can't use or the corn can't utilize because you're not taking into account what's already in the soil. Hey, before we go to more 
current planting season questions. Let's talk about the wheat crop real quick. I know that it's not as prevalent in northern Illinois as it is in southern Illinois or in central as it is in southern, but in this article in Farm Week, it talked about the wheat nationwide, only 30% of it being in good to very good condition and maybe only 48% in good to very good condition in Illinois. What happened, Tom? Something go wrong? Well, it was not a typical winter to where you had the deep freeze and the snow cover, so that impacted the, the wheat, could be. Uh, I know the major growing areas out in Kansas and, and that area, I think, are going through some drought issues, or part of the area was, so that also will impact the the seedings. But it wheat is tricky during the winter. Part of it is how good of a stand you had before you went into winter, uh, some areas of Illinois were dealing with some drought issues at the end of last fall. Uh, others were dealing with wet conditions last fall. So it, that can greatly impact the wheat condition. And like I said, what condition it is when it goes into its dormancy for the wintertime will have a big impact on what it's looked like when it comes out of dormancy. And those that end up with wheat or, or with a good wheat crop are going to see the benefits of the higher wheat prices, too, because, I mean, wheat's over $10 a bushel, which is unheard of for a number of years. And so that could influence a lot of guys thinking this fall, if they're able to get their beans in at a reasonable time or get some short-season beans in to where they can harvest early, there might be a few more guys thinking about sowing some wheat this fall to, to capture that price potential there. And also, it, you've got a reduced um, input cost with the wheat production as well. Let's make sure I've got this right. When the wheat comes out of its dormancy, it's harvested around the 4th of July. Is that right? The Coming out of the dormancy is when it begins growing after the yeah. winter time. And then typically in this area, I mean, Southern Illinois, they'll start harvest middle of June. Okay. Um, but then this area is typically around the 4th, maybe the week before or something like that. Yes. Let's talk about the financial impact on that, Jerry, because we read a lot about cover crops where farmers just put something in after the corn and soybeans are taken out to keep the soil busy, to prevent erosion, just keep some nutrients in there. Or you might double crop soybeans and wheat just to keep your soil busy year-round. But the importance of the wheat as a cash crop or a cover crop, I mean, what do you hear about wheat as far as should more of it be planted in this area? What do you think? No. Uh, I, <laughs> that's it. Uh, no, uh, the, the wheat crop, uh, probably doesn't belong in our area a whole, whole lot. Now there, there's times there's rotations or things going around that a guy might put a wheat crop in. It might be that, that they wanted to put a wheat crop in fault. Maybe they did some tile work or something in their field. And so they said, I don't want to leave it dormant for a full year, but it's not going to be timely for me to put a corner bean crop in. I might put wheat in that field then. And, and I don't feel bad about tearing it up a little bit as I'm I'm tiling it, but I, I think the 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 net dollars per acre on the farms in Vermilion County are better off on corn or soybeans uh, than they are with the wheat, um, and that that's probably more suited. There's a reason why the people out in Kansas grow wheat because they can't grow corn and soybeans, mm. uh, not mm -hmm. the way that we do them here, because they would grow those too if they could. Um, so, but. You know, as you were talking about the, I'm going to switch off this just a little bit though. But as I, I remember an old farmer telling me one time, if you don't kill wheat three times during the growing season, you're not going to get a good wheat crop. That <laughs> that is a plant that can come back time and time again, and that's probably another reason why 
in areas where the soil isn't as fertile, the climate's not as good. Somebody might be producing wheat rather than corn and soybeans as we do here, simply because that plant can take on a little more adversity and still produce where the, when, if you start talking and hearing numbers, uh, uh, this spring and summer, and they start talking about the corn and bean crop being behind, not very much of it at good and excellent, it's hard for that crop to catch up. But I wouldn't be surprised a bit to see in, if we get into a little warmer season here into the spring that this wheat crop will start to catch up and we'll see more good to excellent out there. And given the supply issues for fertilizer and seed for corn and soybeans, guys will be less tempted to just tear out their wheat crop and put in one of the other crops this year because they might not be able to put in one of the other crops. So they're going to give that wheat as long as they can to see if it is going to come out of it. That's an excellent point. Tom, what's Tom talking about? You were talking about the cover crops. So someone in this area might plant wheat with the intent of tearing that wheat up to plant a corn or a soybean. Never harvest the wheat at all. It just sits there and keeps, like you were talking about, the erosion and things down. Mm -hmm. But as Tom's stating, this might be a year that the guy goes out there and looks at, you know, I'm going to leave that wheat crop in. And, uh, and and go with that. And, you yeah. know, because there's a lot you can get off of. Not only, the, the like, as Tom said, the wheat prices are higher. Um, you can you can then take the straw off, and there's a lot of uses for that around in uh, in construction and, and road work and different things like that. So there's there's good value in, in, uh, in the wheat crop in that way. Before we get to my 800-pound gorilla in the room issue, uh, I got to ask you, Jerry, uh, you said a minute ago, and I used to drive through Kansas a lot. I lived in Colorado. I was coming back and forth, and I had my ex-wife had family in Kansas. You just said Kansas isn't that ideal for corn and soybeans. Why? They don't get as much rain as we do? Or? I, I think that's part of it as well. Uh, we're blessed in this area. There were, Tom, help me out with this, seven glaciers that went through to form the soil that we have here. I wasn't that, around then, so I can't okay. say for sure. All right, but but those those were the those formed and made this rich soil that we have here in in East Central Illinois. Uh, that other places are envious that they could have something like that. So yeah, I, it's it's the soil, uh, it's the climate, uh, it's the weather conditions, it's the the amount of rainfall that you need to produce corn and soybeans. Uh, it's it's just not in some of those other areas like we have it here. I mean, Nebraska would not be a large corn producer if it wasn't for all the irrigation pivots they had out mm-hmm. there. And maybe the, I don't know. Maybe Kansas doesn't have the water table or the aquifers available to support that, and so that's that's why they tend to go to the wheat and more of the pasture for cattle and whatnot. Irrigation pivot. Define that. It's it's the irrigation system, the the long bar across the field that you see the water spraying oh. out of, and it's called a pivot because Typically, there's a there's a center post where the well is, and the and the I forgot this is radio. They can't see my arm <laughs> swinging, but the the irrigation rig moves across the field in a full circle if the field's set up for it, or there'll be posts on the end that reverse the direction of it and that sort of thing. And better access to water means you have more of those, right? You can, yes. If you don't have a good natural supply of, or if you don't have a typical good rainfall issue um, in your area. Other times, like we even have some irrigation systems here over right across the border in Indiana because those are more sandy soils. Mm-hmm. And so they they have the water table there. They can draw the irrigate the water out for irrigation, but the sandy soils dry out fast. And if you don't keep that crop watered, you're going to lose it. So that's where those 
are predominantly located. You know, final question here. Paul Temple wrote an article. He's a farmer in northern England. He wrote an article way back in January for Farm Week. Really interesting. What he was saying is the the mainstream media isn't talking about it yet. Now, we are in agricultural shows like this, but needing to use less fertilizer this year for corn and guessing where you need it, what parts of your field need it, what parts of your field don't, you're kind of rolling the dice. And what Mr. Temple was getting at is what if we don't guess right and we create a food shortage worldwide? And remember, this article was written before the Russia-Ukraine war began, which has thrown another curveball into the world food supply. Tom Fricky, do we have reason to be worried here? Well, I don't know how much guessing is going on when you're applying your fertilizer when it costs what it does. And the technology is there with all the GPS systems and the field mapping systems. You can apply variable rate fertilizer across the field right now. If you know this corner needs more than the front half or whatever, that variable rate technology is already taking place. So when you're paying what you are for input costs and for fertilizer and and hydrous prices, you're not guessing how much it is. You're not going out there and putting on whatever amounts you can get a hold of. You're, you know the amounts that will help you maximize your yield potential, and you're not going to exceed that. And that's what, what farmers do during their, their planning time in, in November, December, January, is to plan out which fields need fertilizer where, and that's where it gets applied. There's not just a willy-nilly put it put it all on and hope you get the best out of it there's there's good technology and there's good studies that tell you how much fertilizer you need where so jerry for the world food supply sake are we more concerned do you think about the fertilizer situation or is it the ukraine war that maybe makes us a little more nervous about the effect on the whole world i think it's a big pot uh, that, that that all steve that all gets mixed in together because it's all a factor in it um as, as Tom did a great job of explaining that, that the precision technology that the farmers have today, they know the, the, what rates they need to put on different areas in their field. They're not having to guess on it. Uh, but, and and the, the English farmer maybe has to, but, but not here in the Midwest. We've got some great technology, great precision. But the world supply of food uh, can definitely be tilted by several factors. And, and I think the taking out a relatively large player in the world food markets as the Ukraine and, and thinking that they may not produce a crop at all this year has caused greater concern, I think, than what our our potential fertilizer shortage would be here. Um, Another thing is the technological, technological advances that have been made in agriculture and other parts of the world. In 1961, we utilized 25% of the crop nutrients when you consider nitrogen potassium and phosphorus. In 2018, we only used 10% of what was being used in the world. So as the rest of the world has has developed their agricultural inputs, I mean, growing up as a kid in the 1970s, you never heard or hardly heard anything about Brazil raising corn and soybeans. I'm sure they did locally, but not, on the, not as a global uh, competitor that they have become. That's another impact that's been happening to our markets locally is the bad weather, the, the dry drought weather they had with, with their last crop that they just took off. So, so that's what's impacting us as well. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about. So you bet you guys are going to be back soon. All right, Tom Fricky <laughs> from the Vermilion County Farm Bureau, Jerry Askin from 
Jerry Askren. I want to get that blend in there, right? People right. call me Brady sometimes, so I got to make sure I call you Askren and not me, Brady, huh, brother. So Steve Brandy signing off, and Jerry from Iroquois Federal Savings and Loan, Tom from the Vermilion County Farm Bureau, doing our program with thoughts of Linda Bolton and how she made the Tom and Jerry show work. This is 1490 WDAN. Steve Brandy on Newsmakers. God bless. Everybody have a great day. You've been listening to the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. For more, visit newhoffmedia.com.